Welcome to episode 190 of the Bear Marriage Podcast. I am Sheila Ray Gregoire from BearMarriage.com, where we like to talk about healthy evidence-based biblical advice for your marriage and your parenting. And I am joined by my daughter, Rebecca Lindenbach. Hello. Rebecca and I are going to do something radical. We are going to take a submission quiz. We are. That's I would like right. to know just how submissive I am. That's right. Our listeners probably already I know the I'm answer. I think I'm very submissive. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I think that's what it is. I think we'll find that I am very submissive. Yes, indeed. Um, before we do that, though, a quick thank you to some very important people, to our patrons who help support our blog and our podcast and all of the research they, that we do. Um, it was our patrons' money that helped fund the research project for our new book, She Deserves Better. So thank you so much. And Patrons is such a great community. We have so much fun on um, in our patron group on Facebook. It's the best. We get totally unfiltered and we have unfiltered podcasts and some extras from the interviews that we do. So if you want to support us even for as little as $5 a month, come on over to Patreon. The link is in the podcast notes. So thank you to our patrons because they make our life better. They make your life better. They're an awesome group of people. And remember, if another way that you can support us, of course, is by buying our merch. We have Biblical Womanhood merch, which is super fun. Um, we we have our anti-rape raccoon merch. That's still going. <laughs> <laughs> That's limited edition. We're going to stop that at the end of May. So go take a look at that as well as the, if you pull something out of your butt, it's probably crap. That was said on a podcast by Rebecca a couple yeah. of weeks ago. I'm really, again, just so glad that's immortalized now. Yes, yeah. we have love and respect merch, lots and lots of things. So that's another great way that you can support. So go check that out. Now, before we get to the submission quiz though, Rebecca, we have someone awesome, a good friend that I would like to bring on the podcast. And here is my interview with Amy Bird. Well, I am excited to have Amy Bird, my friend Amy Bird, on the podcast today. Amy, you are, what is it, the feminist outreach outrage machine? or? Well, I've been called, as an uh -huh. insult, the feminist outrage machine. And, you know, I've, I've really took that as a badge of honor and thought, you know, would my publisher want to put that on the top of my next book? You know? <laughs> Mark, Mark Gunger once called me the patron saint of sexually unfulfilled women, and I put that in my Twitter bio. <laughs> Yeah, maybe I should do that then. You know, these, these are gifts that just keep coming to us. Yeah, last week I was a serial killer worse than Ted Bundy. Ooh, I mean, like, yeah. these could be band names. There's so many things we could do. Stickers. I know. <laughs> <laughs> but Amy, Amy is in very similar spaces to me. You have written um, The Sexual Reformation, which is an awesome book looking at how the theology from the Song of Songs can teach us about our relationship with God and how he sees us. And it's it's so well done. If we want Thank to you. figure out how to use an analogy of, <laughs> <laughs> of sex to understand God, and then this is the way to do it. Um, not the TGC article that was out early in March. Yeah. Um, you've also written Recovering from Biblical Manhood and Womanhood, which is a, a riff on a book by John Piper and Wayne Grudem. And Wayne Grudem, with many contributors. Yeah. Yes, Recovering <laughs> yes. Biblical Manhood and Womanhood. Um, you've written Why Can't We Just Be Friends and a whole bunch of, of other books examining how um, gen the gender conversation happens in the church. Yeah. Uh, so I wanted to talk to you today specifically about not your latest one, The Sexual Reformation, which is very, very good, highly mm -hmm. recommended, but Recovery from Biblical Manhood and Womanhood. <laughs> yes. Um, because that's come up a lot in our talks yeah. about she deserves better. So can you tell me mm -hmm. what made you write that book? What what's the, oh. what's the impetus for it? You know, it's been quite a journey. You know, I, I was kind of an accidental author. I uh, found myself lonely as a thinking woman in the church. Mm -hmm. And so I was in a complementarian church in the reformed denominations. 
And I thought, well, maybe, and I was really kind of just not satisfied with the resources that were marketed towards women in the church. I found them to be a lot lighter, a lot fluffier, uh, full of error, you know, like these are the things in the women's ministries. And I wanted to read the deep stuff, you know? <laughs> so um, my first book really was writing into this void and just thinking, well, if maybe we could raise awareness of why theology, theology is important for women too, and why we are theologians. So let's be good ones. You know, all of us think something about God. What is it? Um, and then, you know, maybe use that as a tool to help women uh, talk about this stuff. And so that's what kind of launched me into writing. And um, the book was received well. And so I get invited to do a podcast with a pastor and an academic. I get these speaking engagements, you know, all this stuff that I, I never signed up for. You know, I was very uncomfortable with at first, but um, it, it ended affording me a lot of really nice opportunities. But then I also uh, got an eye into a lot of church culture all mm -hmm. over the country, outside of the country, um, and even academic culture. I, I made a lot of connections and friends in, in the academic world. Um, and so I found myself being able to you know, kind of go upstairs and have a conversation and, and, and go downstairs and have a conversation. And I really was trying to step into that gap there uh, for the thinking lay person. Um, but I found as a woman, this was very difficult to do. And, you know, to, if I, didn't stay in my lane. <laughs> and, and I found the lane to get narrower and narrower and narrower. So with each book I wrote, I'm kind of writing into questions I'm having, theological questions um, about, you know, how a woman functions as a disciple in Christ's church, who she can talk to, what she can say, um, how she's loved and cared for and, and valued. And so, um, yeah, part of that led to talking about friendship and, and, you know, where I really focus on the siblingship that we have in the body of Christ um, and then recovering uh, from biblical manhood and womanhood arose out of in that space. I started getting a lot of pushback at this point when I started talking about, oh, she's talking about friendship. Like Amy once married people to go have romantic candlelight dinners with other you know people in hotel rooms. <laughs> Okay. Um, <laughs> it's like, not, okay. not the argument in the book, but um, <laughs> I started to get a lot of pushback in that way. Um, the Council for Biblical Manhood and Womanhood, who once, you know, liked what I was saying, was now kind of starting to write against me. Um, I was finding a lot of very subtle ways to, to blacklist me and things like this. And so I started to really feel the effects of this whole movement. Uh, that is called biblical manhood and womanhood. And so they put the word biblical in front of it and we all want to be biblical and mm -hmm. I want to be a biblical woman. But um, really my book is kind of showing a critique of this as, hey, this is a movement that started a little over 30 years ago. Let's look at its beginnings and particularly its book, Recovering Biblical Manhood and Womanhood. What needs recovered? What is it that they're teaching in there? Um, there was some unorthodox teaching on the Trinity mm -hmm. in that book. Yes. Uh, that then is used to subordinate women to men. You know, there's some really ridiculous stuff in there about women um, not wanting to be too muscular, you know, and, 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 you know, their husbands, how they would carry the purse if they were needed to, you know, really weird stuff. Like 
Um, if it's okay for a man to ask a woman for directions, you know. Yes, well. I've gone off on that one so often. <laughs> because how, how can you give directions to a man in a way that is neither yeah. personal nor direct? <laughs> and how I can like answer the door and make sure the mailman knows his masculinity, you know, like all this weird stuff. So um, I wanted to write into that. But what I really wanted to do was show something much more beautiful um, that we are invited into as men and women in the church. And so I wanted to restore the dignity and personhood of both man and woman, because I think that a lot of the theology in this movement takes the dignity away from both. Yeah, exactly. Um, and of course, you did get so much pushback. And maybe I'll have you on another podcast that sometime <laughs> and we can have like a joint therapy session. But um, <laughs> But what was so amazing is that while you were writing all this, you were still very much in complementarian spaces and yet they were yes. still coming after you. Yeah, I made it very, uh, I was very careful, like, because I was in the Orthodox Presbyterian Church, <laughs> which is, you know, uh, very confessional. So I, I was very careful to write within the bounds of the confessions of my church, mm -hmm. which we're supposed to have the freedom. You know, here's the bounds of our confessions. And that gives us the freedom and curiosity in that then, you know. Um, and so that's exactly what I did. And I wanted to write about, you know, I wanted to be a voice from the inside critiquing and saying, hey, we can do better, you know, yeah. uh, we can grow. And uh, I was focusing on discipleship, not leadership, but I was writing to leaders like those, that's who I was thinking as my, my primary reading audience. And, and I wanted to think about how we read our Bibles, like how does this affect the way we read our Bibles, this theology as men and women? Um, what do we think discipleship is and, and where does that happen? You know? And then what are our great, like uh, what's our great honor and responsibilities as brothers and sisters in the body of Christ to one another? What's the privileges there that we have? Right. You used a yellow paper um, analogy <laughs> and that's actually the cover yeah. of your book. Can yeah. you tell us, I love the story of where this is from. So there's this like uh, novella that's kind of old now written by feminists who uh, became a feminist because she started going to, this is called the yellow wallpaper. And she uh, was what we know now suffering from severe postpartum depression. But at the time that was not a diagnosis, but the diagnosis, popular diagnosis at the time was something called neurasthenia. And it was like, it was kind of about like nervous energy that uh, you can't get rid of. Like you, you can't deal with the, the modern times. You can't keep up to pace with with what's changing. And so um, the diagnosis could be for a man or a woman, but the therapy for it is very different. Therapy mm -hmm. for a, a man is like, go out west, do push-ups, you know, like ride horses. And for women, it's like, stay indoors, don't talk to anyone, have zero intellectual life. You know, you are very, very fragile. Yes. Here's this, this thinking woman, this writer, and now this mother who is told to do this rest therapy and do nothing. And um, after a while, it, it really starts to hit her that, okay, um, this is making me worse. So she mm -hmm. stops, but so she writes this kind of little fictional story, fictional story about a woman with these symptoms and her husband takes her, you know, to this very secluded area and she's not to have any social interactions. She's not to have any action interactions with her child. Um, and she's in this room with this yellow wallpaper that has all these strange patterns on it. And it's kind of ripped in different places. And, and that's where she has to stay. And, and she eventually starts going crazy. Um, and she starts to see a woman trapped behind all these crazy patterns and 
and she wants to free this woman. So she continues to rip this wallpaper. But what it is, is it's a metaphor, you know, for, mm-hmm. for a woman functioning in a patriarchal society, you know, and um, how it affects uh, her medical diagnosis, her, her domestic life and her intellectual life and her social life. So the Mm -hmm. yellow wallpaper really stands for something that we still see today, even though we're not in such a patriarchal society as as she was, there's still a lot of yellow wallpaper left to peel. So that's what I kind of use as I carry Mm -hmm. on that metaphor throughout the book. Yeah, I love that. Um, (laughs) One of the things we say, and she deserves better, is we, we draw a contrast between two events that Dana and Bob Gresh used to run for teenagers. And I think they still run them. Um, Oh, wow. Dana's used to be called Secret Keeper Girl. Now it's called mm-hmm. True Girl, and it's focused on okay. finding your real modesty. And Bob's for boys is called Born to Be Brave. <laughs> so, so they get to be brave. Yeah. So boys get to be brave by focusing on how to do big things. Mm-hmm. And girls get to be girls by focusing on how not to do shameful things. Yeah. That's what a framing. Yeah. And that is what we found was so prevalent in youth group settings is that boys are encouraged to be big and girls are encouraged to be very small. Don't use your Mm. voice. Make sure you don't stick out. (laughs) Watch what you wear so he doesn't notice you and doesn't lust after you, et cetera. Mm. But this doesn't stop in youth group. No. And what you you looked at, I loved the work that you did looking at how different Bibles are framed. Like, think about this, people. Publishers Mm -hmm. publish Bibles for men and for women Mm -hmm. in evangelicalism. And the big moneymaker. Yeah, they are. You know, those pink Bibles that we get with all these cute little articles at the side of the passages and (laughs) designs. What is the difference? What are some of the differences Uh, that you found? Yeah, so I I wrote a couple pages on that in the book because I think that, you know, just the way our Bibles are marketed to us are sending a message already. Mm -hmm. And so these pretty Bibles for women disgust me because and I have nothing against beauty. Like, you know, I want, uh, you know, I love pretty book covers and things like that. And the, the cover itself um, would function well on something else. But um, on the Bible for women, it's, it's already sentiment, sentimentalizing God's word to us, mm-hmm. right? It's like mm-hmm. saying you approach the, the word in a sentimental way. You know, this is pretty for you. Um, and we're talking about God's word here. <laughs> I mean, there's a lot of ugly in there, you know, it, it, it leads us to beauty, but uh, the Bible does not hold back, right? God <laughs> does not hold back on the truth of our condition of what's happening in the world. And so to sentimentalize it and put this pretty cover on it, it, it it's a message to women, right? Of what we can handle, of what, of how we're to even approach God's word, I feel like. And then I, I did a little bit of a, a looking at you know, a more respectable women's Bible, women's devotional Bible, and a more respectable men's devotional Bible that was uh, the ESV um, that put out not too, well, I guess it's been a little while now, but the women's devotional Bible and the men's devotional Bible. And there's some really interesting differences. Um, the articles themselves are, are different. Like here's some for the women, the articles are the church and women at risk, eating disorders and other self-destructive behaviors, missional living, emotional health, forgiveness, healing, and shame. So these are for the women. Mm-hmm. For the men, we see leadership, uh, a man's inner life, and why regard self-control as the one essential ingredient to biblical manhood. 
uh, life in the local church, calling, pornography, and a man's work. So um, it's interesting because, you know, you see these eating disorders on the one side for the women. You know, everything on the side of the woman is, is either uh, domesticated or, or having to do with victimhood. You don't see the pornography, like the, the, the one article for the man on pornography, you don't see that being called uh, destructive behavior, like you see right. eating disorder being called right. for the woman. Um, but you see all these things about agency on the men's side that you don't see on the woman's side. Um, you know, why isn't emotional health important for men? <laughs> it's like they act like they don't have that problem, right? Uh, why wouldn't forgiveness, healing, and shame be important for men as well? Why wouldn't women want to learn about leadership or life in the local church? Um, mm-hmm. Why why is there an article called a man's work, but not one called a woman's work, <laughs> right? Um, but then not only the articles themselves, but who's writing them? Who can contribute to these two Bibles? So um, the woman's Bible has both male and female authors, Bible teachers, pastors. Um, and, and that's great. You know, you're hearing from all these different voices, but not so on, on the men's devotional Bible, it is only male contributors. Mm-hmm. So what message do we hear here? That even though uh, when the feminists say that the Bible is a patriarchal construction put together by the most powerful men, you know, when the, <laughs> the secular, very extreme fem- radical feminists say that, we balk and we say, this is not true. But then the, the message that we send in our pretty Bibles and in uh, who gets to tell the story uh, <laughs> is the exact same, that women need our own resources to, to approach the Bible and, and better understanding for our sex. Yeah. Whereas men do not benefit from the female voice. Yeah. It's, it, we were actually told that when I was starting to write about marriage, my publisher told me, um, probably a decade ago that that women could write to women about marriage, but they couldn't write to couples, but men could write to couples. Yeah. And that was true in in a lot of the marriage conferences too, is that you could have a man speaking in a marriage yeah. conference, but you couldn't Been have there. a woman. You, yeah. you could have a couple, but not not just a woman. Whereas it's okay to have a marriage conference with only mm-hmm. a man speaking. Well, so- I was at one, I was at a, a marriage conference. I wasn't like attending the conference, but I was we were doing podcasts there with some of the speakers and, you know, respectable parachurch organization. Um, and I, the first thing I noticed is that it's an all male speaker lineup. Yeah. And then I'm looking at who it is <laughs> thinking, what in the world? Like, <laughs> how are there no women here talking about, it? and they're talking about things like sex too. Yeah. Like as a woman, I, I don't even, that's so interesting that that's not even a question of why don't we have a woman up here talking yeah okay here's something that um i've noticed i uh, a young friend of mine runs a bible study a women's bible study at her at her church and there's a lot of senior citizens in it she's like a millennial <laughs> a young millennial okay. um, but she was put in charge because she's very vibrant and <laughs> she says she has a really hard time finding materials because she just wants to read the bible Mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. she just wants to like, let's just read Colossians or something. Yes. But all the women's Bible studies that are available, the video Bible studies tend to be quite fluffy. Yeah. And I, they're not was, even always true. Yeah, yeah. They're, they're not even always like accurate. Um, mm-hmm. Why, like, like, why are women not encouraged just to read the Bible? <laughs> I don't know. I, I don't, and, and it's, 
I feel like there is this overall consensus that uh, women don't have something to share. Like, and you know, it's really centered. If if you really want to look at it, it's really centered on the white male voice. You know, so many of our Bible commentaries. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I think that the whole idea that we need to listen to more voices and and reading scripture as a community together, which is the way that the church has historically valued the role of the church in reading scripture is is to do it as a community. Mm -hmm. And now I think we so, not to say that that hasn't been the problem running through church history as well has been, it's become so institutionalized. And now I think so monetized, you know, to have these important voices um, writing the books, uh, and speaking at the conferences and teaching us how to read scripture. And, you know, I'm not, not to say that there isn't a lot of valuable stuff in their voices, but, um, we need to hear from a lot more voices (laughs) because I can only see so much. You can only see so much. And we all see according to what culture we find ourselves in, you know, and what experiences we find ourselves in. Yeah. How do you find that the discipleship differs for men and women in the church? Yeah. Well, and and this is, you know, something I remember my pastor even admitting to me because I just, you know, there definitely was a ceiling of how far I felt like I could go in learning. And I just uh, starved, I was starving to be invested in as somebody who had a lot of theological vigor and just, you know, yearned to be in conversations about uh, all these things, you know? Um, and my, my pastor even said to me, you know, in trying to encourage me to write about these things, um, yeah, I can see that, you know, when I see a a man since I was, and I'm not anymore in this denomination, but I was in a denomination that saw, um, male leadership, you know, that, uh, ordination and, you know, I thought it was more about ordination, but it's, it's about teaching, you know, in a lot of other ways too. that only qualified men could fill those spaces. So he said, you know, when I see a man that has that kind of vigor, I want to invest in them because I know they can be teachers mm-hmm. and don't, doesn't think that way about women. But then I think another layer to this too is a fear. Like we are in this culture, this Billy Graham culture you know, that uh, <laughs> men cannot spend time investing in women like that. Like there's a no, no in the mm-hmm. relationships and, as if there's not ways to, you know, use exercise wisdom in, in our interactions together and, and particularly in the way we view one another's brothers and sisters in the church. And women have just really been sidelined as a ministry. You know, we're just a separate ministry. And so anybody who has any theological vigor, great, that's wonderful. You can be the leader for the women, you know, and mm-hmm. they barely get invested in. I've talked to so many leaders, women leaders of women's ministries who were not invested in at all, were given bad resources. Um, And like, it doesn't even matter. Wink, wink, isn't it cute that the women's ministry is over there studying the word, but uh, (laughs) (laughs) what are they learning? You know, and um, it it just didn't seem to matter. Yeah. Well, I I do want to pick your brain and have you explain this because I talk about the heresy of the eternal subordination of the sun quite a bit. Mm. uh, And it comes up in comments a lot, but it's often in passing. And I've never really given a full um, explanation of why this is so bad and how (laughs) this got started. So while we have you, 
do you want to try to explain <laughs> this thing? <laughs> Which I know is a mess, but yes. Yeah. Well, okay. I'll give you the short condensed version because I'd really have to do a lot of unpacking to get into the theological parts of it. But okay. um, what is known today as the Trinity debate <laughs> did mm-hmm. start on my blog because um, I was noticing this teaching, um, Wayne Grudem has it in his systematic theology, which is, you know, sold, I don't know, hundreds of thousands of copies. Yeah. And, um, you know, very popular, especially among like Baptists, but among many other people too. I, m- I remember when I first started teaching uh, women's Bible study, uh, my pastor gave me Wayne Grudem's systematic theology, which at the time I thought, I didn't even know something like system. I was like 20 years old and no one wanted to teach. And I was you know, scared and didn't want to do it. And he gives me this and I got introduced into the world of theology. So, so in some ways, you know, um, I was thankful for that. But then later on, now I'm starting, I started reading it deeper as I'm learning and, and finding uh, this teaching that uh, the son is subordinate to the father and that, uh, they they have some different ways of explaining it. Like they can say eternal functional subordination. And mm-hmm. so like, so they're saying it's not in his essence, but functionally speaking, the son uh, is subordinate to the father's authority at all times. And, um, and then they use that teaching. And this has just saturated resources and women's ministries, men's ministries, mm-hmm. um, children's ministries. Um, they use that to say, likewise, that women uh, functionally are subordinate to men in our roles. And so they use this word role, which comes from the theater, right? And means yeah. to play a part. So that should never be something talking about um, our nature. But they use it to talk about like the, our nature, who we are, uh, is, is to always be subordinate to men. And um I was just, it was everywhere. Rachel Miller really started writing on it first. And then I wanted to write some more on it because it, uh, the, the Council for Biblical Manhood and Womanhood started doing major conferences about this. Like they did one on the beauty of complementarity before the T4G conference. It was like the pre-conference full of ESS uh, teaching. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the then president was uh, releasing a book that year uh, on ESS and female male, female submission and authority. Um, so I asked a pastor scholar friend, Liam Gallagher to write something on it because he was very worried about this teaching as a pastor, you know, pastorally, he doesn't want this in his congregation. And I knew that to get a man to write about it, uh, a respectable man to write about it in the PCA, um, maybe someone will listen. So, um, I was hoping this time, maybe someone will listen. And sure enough, we put that article on. It was a two-part article. And I'm telling you what, it was like we pulled the rope and the whole ceiling fell apart. Um, there were rebuttals that, you know, more mm-hmm. people started chiming in. I think there were a lot of people like waiting to see which way the wind's going to go. And, <laughs> and so then when the, the patristic like scholars uh, come in and say, oh, yeah, this is not Nicene Orthodoxy, you know, yeah, this, ESS, the, this EFS, like, yeah, because the Nicene yeah. Orthodoxy, the Trinity, you believe that they are, you know, three co-equal members of the Trinity, 
Right. And it was being taught that Jesus was subordinate to well, the Father. And they would never say that, like they, they would say that he was equal in being, but it's just subordinate in role. They use that word <laughs> role again. But um, the, it tears apart so many other doctrines about who God is, like important ones. Like, uh, are there multiple wills of God? Like, <laughs> does the son have a separate will from the father? And, you know, no, <laughs> may it not be. So um, there are other doctrines that this affects as well. Um, so, you know, first and foremost, the way we think about God is very important. And this is something, you know, in the basics of our beginning Christian creeds of what a Christian confesses about who God is. Um, and then they're using that then for their anthropology. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, what a mess. And um, then there were just conferences on it. There were books now have been many books written about it. Uh, Teaching has changed in the seminaries. I'm really thankful for that um, to address this. Um, but I did become quite an enemy. Yes. <laughs> quite a lot of people after that. Interestingly, the men who wrote about it did not, like Wayne Grudem just uh, updated, I think it was like the 20 year anniversary of a systematic theology or something. So now he has a revised edition that is selling like hotcakes. Uh, to where I find out that um, in that section of his uh, systematic theology, he names me and says that I misrepresented him. And basically, he, he accuses me of breaking the ninth commandment. So he oh makes it gosh. a moral issue. He turns this into a moral issue. Uh, doesn't name one scholar of the many who have written against this now, saying it's unorthodox teaching, or the people he literally debated in conferences at ETS even on this. Doesn't name any of them. None of the academics, wow. just this troublesome woman, Amy Bird. <laughs> Who can save me from this troublesome woman? Who is immoral. Yes. Oh, that's so <laughs> in, awful. In print, in his book. Yeah. You know, I have been vilified by many online. I know that Beth Barr has, Beth Moore has, but I've oh, never yeah. seen anyone as vilified as you. Oh, man. What you've gone through is just atrocious. Um, it's It's been pretty bad having to go through the church courts, you know, and all that with it. Um, and then to see the end results and how reduced everything was and um, to see that the system itself does not care for women, mm-hmm. yeah, you know, and does not value or permit her voice even to speak into it, you know. The very things that like Diane Langberg would say, we need to be a person, a voice, an agency. Mm-hmm. Um, you don't, you're not afforded that. So um, it was a lot to, it was a lot to be revealed for me. And it really proved <laughs> the need for the title of my book, which at first I, you know, didn't really want to call it recovering from biblical manhood and womanhood <laughs> because I knew that it would like fires. Um you know, the publishing and the marketing and all that is what it ends up being. But now I'm like, whew, that title has proven itself yes. big time. Now I'm very grateful for it. I'm very grateful for your work. And um, yeah, it just shows that we need to keep being faithful. Yeah. And I think people are seeing it. Um, and yeah. what I what I find is that the big wigs often don't change, but the grassroots does. That's right. That's right. And even if we never change Wayne Grudem's mind <laughs> or <Yeah. laughs> any of other people's minds, I think people are waking up to the fact that, yeah, women matter. Women, women matter. matter. And I think that not only is there wake- awakening, 
but now there's community, you know? Mm-hmm. And I think that's mm-hmm. something that's been a real value with social media. Um, and why I'm glad books like ours can be published, you know, yes. um, because now, you know, all these women before that I was hearing from and my traveling and speaking, um, are getting better resources, you know, mm-hmm. and they're also saying, we're not alone. Like you're, what you're saying I'm going through and I, I identify yeah. with this and, and now I can say it too. So mm-hmm. I think that that's a, you know, that's been extremely rewarding to be a part of. Yeah. So there's still more yellow paper to peel off, but if you are looking to peel off some yellow paper, (laughs) go to your shelf, take a look at your men and women's Bibles and just, just for fun, see what the differences are. Talk to your husband about that. Talk to your kids about that. Um, And let's just start those conversations. If you do, again, if you read Josh Butler's article um, in early March and were disturbed by it, I highly recommend getting Amy Bird's book, Sexual Reformation, if you want to see a theological logical way mm-hmm. of, of talking about um, the allegory of sex and what that means for us and what God meant for that to mean. And I highly recommend as well, the book Recovering from Biblical Manhood and oh, Womanhood. Thanks, Sheila. Um, and uh, yeah, and I'm so grateful for the work that you do and for our partnership and our friendship. So thank yes, you. Amy, likewise, I've been handing out your book to friends, recommending it to moms. Um, she deserves better, man. That title's the best. Yeah. <laughs> well, thank you. And where can people find you? Oh, well, my website is amybird.com. I'm also, I do all, I think a lot of my most talking about this on Twitter um, because that's where I think the, the people who follow me on Twitter, I think are more interested in these topics. Um, and, you know, books are on Amazon. So, or uh, Zondervan. Yeah. Yeah. And we'll put a link and Amy Bird, both of those things are spelled weird. So A-I-M-E-E and B-Y-R-D. So, and we'll put a link in the podcast notes. So thank Thank you, Amy, for joining us. Yeah. So it was good talking to you again. (laughs) Amy is a trooper. Yeah. Like she has, she has undergone more bullying and horrible stuff online than almost any other woman in this space that I know. Oh, yeah, completely. She has just been the target of so much vitriol. I'll I'll put a note, um, a link in the podcast notes that you can read some of her story. But she was it was just awful. And she didn't deserve that. And and the only reason she got it was because she was saying, hey, you know, maybe women deserve better. Yeah, maybe women should matter. Maybe women were made to be disciples of Christ as well. And and she got in trouble for that. So there you go. Mm -hmm. I think Amy's basic problem, though, is that she's not submissive. That I mean, yeah, that's probably what I would say too. This is heavy sarcasm for anyone yes, who doesn't yes, get that. Exactly. And so today, Becca, I thought that we could do something that is in um She Deserves Better. Yes. Which we in in our book, She Deserves Better, we just we did talk about the submission quiz that was part of Dana Gresh's curriculum for Secret Keeper Girl, for the now rebranded True Girl. Um, it's been used hundreds of thousands of events. Apparently. I mean, that's what the website says. Yes. And it is actually in her new book. So it was there. From 2021. From so 2021. Like, we're not saying new book like 2013, like new book, like post-COVID new book. Yes. So this is like so <laughs> this is a this is a book that moms are supposed to do with their daughters. Uh-huh. Um, they're sort of eight to 12-year-old daughters. And I just thought, Becca, I think the burning question that all of our listeners have <laughs> is... 
Rebecca Lindenbach. Am how, I a rebellious Roxy or a submissive Sarah? Exactly. Or whatever. I don't remember what the actual how, answers How are. submissive are you? And so yeah. this is a six-question quiz, and I just thought we could work through it, and we could figure this out. Yeah, sounds good. Now, we already went through the uh, submissive submission quiz in a Facebook Live in our launch team, so uh, this will not be the same as that, just so you know. That was probably a little more unfiltered than what we'll be doing here yes. today. Yes, it was. <laughs> it probably was. But we want to go through this, and, and, and I'll... I'll preface this with saying who we want you to think about. Okay, we'll be talking okay. about three different girls. Yeah, as, as you're listening, picture three girls. Picture in your three mind. girls. So the first one is a very shy, sheltered 11 year old mm-hmm. who doesn't know it, and their family doesn't know it. But the soccer, the assistant soccer coach is a predator mm-hmm. on her team that she's joining this summer. Okay. Okay. Mm-hmm. The second one is an 11-year-old who has friends who watch shows and listen to music and do a lot of games that she's really uncomfortable with, and they have very different standards for what they consider appropriate versus what she and her family consider appropriate. Okay. And the third one is someone who is just really kind of struggling to form her idea of, like, who am I? Like, just kind of normal, self-conscious, preteen girl who um, is very, very naturally demure mm-hmm. and very happy to be a people pleaser. And we're right. going to talk about those three girls as we go through this quiz. As well as... As well as ourselves. As well as ourselves. Okay, so it is a six-question quiz. And um, what you're supposed to do is there's four possible answers for each question. And you're supposed to mark which one you would answer most often. And then at the end, I want to read you what the marking score is, because that's mm-hmm. important to know before we even start. So... They're asking, which letter did you get the most of? If you got the most Ds, you are a submissive servant. Wow, I wish I could score this high, says Dana Gresh. Keep up the great work. Just don't let it go to your head. (laughs) Or C, you are a sensitive socialite. Good eye, girlfriend. You recognize your own desires, but you're trying hard to put others ahead of yourself and you often succeed. Okay, so pretty good. Mm -hmm. B is a boisterous boss. Try harder. You probably have a lot of leadership potential, but God isn't likely to use that until you learn some gentleness. Work on controlling your tongue. And then A is a raging rebel. Uh Uh-oh, watch out. You're wearing the wrong stuff, girl. You need to work on controlling your tongue and your emotions. So with those... Um, descriptors. What do you think about what you think B is going to be like if God's not able to use this girl? Mm-hmm. Okay, so, so just, B is is a girl that God can't use. Or, yeah, it's unlikely to use. And what you're aiming for is D. So everybody D is the best. wants to be D because that's a submissive servant. That's who you're supposed to be. Okay, everyone else is kind of like subpar a little bit. Now, just to remind our listeners too, Dana Gresh is the one who wrote in Secret Keeper Girl the thing about the eight year old bellies being intoxicating that we talked about on the Modesty podcast. I think it was like episode ah like 186 maybe 185 a couple of weeks ago um so you can listen to that but she but so th- so this is a, a rather problematic curriculum and in she deserves better we looked at two questions from this quiz in particular we'll see how many we get through now mm-hmm. but i just want i just want you to get um a sense of this so here's the first question ready okay when the kids i'm hanging out with decide they want to do something i don't want to do i a Yell and grumble and run home, stomping all the way. Mm-hmm. B, keep talking until I convince everyone to do what I want to do. C, try to listen to everyone's feelings and help all of us work it out, even though this is hard to do. Or D, do what my friends prefer. After all, everyone deserves a turn to lead. Yeah. So the answer you're supposed to have is... D. Do what my friends prefer. Yeah. After all, everyone deserves a turn to lead. Okay. 
So, okay, let's go back to our three girls. First of all, mm-hmm. let's be very clear. We're both Bs. <laughs> oh, yeah. And I, and I guess my thing is, like, I don't know what's wrong with B. No, like, because here's, here's the problem. Like, if, if it's something where you only ever, when I was seven years old and only ever wanted to play, like, orphan, because everyone plays orphan at age seven, <laughs> and sometimes my friends wanted to play school, like, yeah, okay, let's, let's take turns. But you're talking to, like, eight to 12-year-olds where you're starting to get into peer pressure. So let's talk about those three girls. Mm-hmm. Okay, so what if you're the 11 year old who's really kind of shy and insecure and now you're being taught you should always do what other people want to do? Yep. Right. Like you should just let them do what they want. Let them do what they want. Okay. And in fact, if you try to convince them, if you try to speak up, that's actually bad. Mm -hmm. If you even if you help everyone work it out together and do the hard thing, that's not as good as just shutting up. And letting people do what they want. Yeah, because we're aiming for D. So C, where you try to listen to everyone's feelings and help all of us work it out, that's not as good. Yeah, so you mattering is less good than you not mattering. Right. So that's, 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 that's one thing. And then think about the girl who's got the peer pressure friends. What if this isn't a... What if this isn't a, they want to play school and I want to play orphan? Um, And what if this is instead, hey, we want to watch that new music video and learn the dance and post it on TikTok. Right. And you're like, I am 11 and this feels inappropriate. Yeah. And you went through that. And I went through that. I did. Yeah. Where it's like my friends. No, I'm glad that we didn't have the internet. But like, I was like, I'm not, I don't really want to watch certain things and act them out Mm -hmm. because it's weird as a 12 year old to like Mm -hmm. act these sexy things out. And what if that's the situation here? Yeah. It's really bizarre to me that Dana didn't think that through. Yeah, there's nothing in here about peer pressure. There's nothing in here about, well, what if they're trying to play a game that isn't a good game? Mm-hmm. It's just What the if they're best- watching a show you don't want to watch? Yeah. What if you're scared of things that you're... What if you're someone who's scared of something that, that you feel is embarrassing for your age to be scared of? Mm-hmm. What if like you just don't like a certain cartoon because you just find it scary and your friends want to watch it and you don't... And now you're like, well, I'm just going to watch this thing that's going to cause me to have nightmares because... Mm-hmm. I'm just not supposed to. But you need to because you need to do what your friends prefer yeah. because everyone deserves a turn to lead. Okay, yeah. let's move on to number two. Ready? Okay. okay. When the teacher gives me homework, I usually A, refuse to do it. <laughs> B, do it. But the whole time I think it's dumb because I already know it all. <laughs> C, wish I didn't have to, but I don't want to disappoint my teacher. Or D, do it without thinking too much. After all, she's the teacher. This is the one that we used and She Deserves Better. This is one Without of thinking too much. So the, the only way to get good points is to tell your child that it is wrong to think. Yep. So doing it without thinking too much is the correct answer. We're literally teaching girls that having thoughts means that you are rebellious. Yes. Like, and there is no nice way to spin this. Mm-hmm. Because in B through D, the physical result is the same. Yeah, they're, they're getting, getting the homework, homework done. done. Yeah. The only thing that makes it different is that the B is smart. She already knows this. Yeah. So being a smart kid, because mm-hmm. I'm sorry, if you're smart and you're doing homework that you already know, you're going to feel like this. Yeah. That's just this what was it my is. life throughout yeah. school. Simply being intelligent as a girl yeah. means that you are a problem. Yeah. According to this quiz. And again, was that the intent? Absolutely not. I don't think so. No. But that is what it says here. Yeah. And remember, number C, wish I didn't have to, but I don't want to disappoint my teacher. Even that isn't as good as doing it without, without thinking. Without thinking so the too problem much. Is, the problem is that you wish you didn't have to do it. Yeah. That is the problem. So not wanting to do something is a problem. So we're penalizing girls for thinking and we're penalizing them for not wanting to do something. For having emotions. So for literally having, emotions. having an experience that is your own is rebellious. Mm-hmm. That's according to this. And so again, let's go back to those girls. 
Okay. Okay. So now like you have now systematically trained a girl through things like Secret Keeper Girl or Eight Great Dates, whatever you want to call it. Or you've gone to a bunch of true girl conferences mm-hmm. and she's learned my job is to not think too much and to let other people do what they want. Mm-hmm. Yep. Now. Like that's scary. Okay. Yeah. Because if you think too much then you're in trouble. Or what about the girl, even when it's just about the peer pressure? What if Mm -hmm. you've trained this girl to not think too much and just cheerfully go along with what people want? Mm -hmm. And then is she going to be able to logic her way through why she shouldn't listen to her friends? Is she going to have the critical thinking skills to figure out what's appropriate and what's not? You literally can't train girls to not think and then be surprised and they aren't able to think. Yep. Exactly. We're going to skip the next two because they're just kind of the same thing. They're just the same. We don't want to go over the same thing over and over again. Yeah, it's so. just penalizing people for, for wanting, for having bad attitudes, but still getting something done. Okay. What about number five? This mm-hmm. one is important. We also did this one and she, and she deserves better. When I think someone has made a mistake, I, A, want to be the first to correct the person and do it as loudly as possible. That kind of Mm -hmm. sounds like this entire podcast, but okay. B, try to take over because I can do it better. Mm -hmm. C, watch for a good time to bring it up quietly. Or D, wait for adults or others in authority to make things right. This one is the most dangerous one. This one's actually quite horrifying if you think about it. Okay, so they think someone has made a mistake. She does not she does not specify what kind of a mistake this is. No, this might be a oops, you have toilet paper on the bottom of your shoe. Right. Right? Or it might be, oops, someone's molesting someone. Okay, yeah. like like they, she does not say what level of mistake. And this is the problem. Say, mm-hmm. well, well, we shouldn't have to. Yes, you should have to. Because yeah. 11 and 12 year olds don't under, like we have to understand when you look at the psychology of adolescence, mm-hmm. formal operations thinking only begins in the age that Dana Gresh is talking to. And it, for many kids, it doesn't even start until you, after. Let me explain what that Sorry, is. Sorry, okay. You're right. Formal operations is this idea of being able to get into nuance, into the philosophical thinking, into the ideas of like thinking about thinking, for example, like what is thought? What is existence? I think, mm-hmm. therefore I am. Those kinds mm-hmm. of discussions. But also these deep discussions about morality, like is it um, is it moral to steal a loaf of bread to feed your family? These kinds of things that you think about. The kinds of questions that are needed, the kinds of thinking that is needed to understand that a mistake and a crime are actually often two different things, right? The kind of nuance that is required to understand that, hey, if a 50-year-old man is paying attention to a preteen girl, no, it's not love. Mm -hmm. It's pedophilia. Like, this is the kind of thing where kids are so black and white thinking and they're they're not able to really grasp a lot of this nuance and think through things the way that an adult would and so when we give them these blanket statements like don't say anything don't try to make things right don't speak up don't try to correct someone Mm -hmm. kids are not old enough for us to be able to expect them to make the right decisions in morally gray areas. We need to delineate it. Otherwise, we're betraying them to their own psychological limitations due to their age. And it's unfair because we put these burdens on kids and then we don't equip them for them. Yeah. And let's also note too that it is super common. I mean, what is it? Is it one in one in four girls and one in nine boys will be sexually abused? I mean, it depends which which stats yeah. you look at. But, but it's not but it's one high. in 98. Right. It's like, a This is is really common. It is all too common. And so to not even consider that when you put 
questions like this together. How will this impact a girl who has been a victim of sexual abuse or assault? Or even how do we equip girls who might be groomed and and well, especially since later. so often it's talked about how he just made a mistake in his youth. I mean, that's what they said about Andy Savage. He called it a mistake, right? Like, right. like, and so saying saying this stuff. Like, when I think someone has made a mistake, the only correct answer is I wait for adults or others in authority to make things right. It doesn't even say you bring it up to others in authority. No. It means the only thing that you do is wait. Is you shut up. Do nothing. Yeah. So what if you are a 14-year-old girl now who grew up doing things like eight great dates with your mom, who you went to the True Group, True Go conferences, and there's a boy in your youth group who is sexually harassing you. Mm-hmm. What do you do? Mm-hmm. What have you been trained to do? Yeah. What have you been trained to do? What if you're in that girl, in that, that, um, in that friend group with mean girls and you see that one of them is just super picking on someone else or um, you see that they're just spreading lies what do you do? Yep. You and just sit and wait. Let's remember there was an incident that you went through in high school um, where you brought it up to a youth leader that there was an individual going to your youth group that you did not feel safe with. Oh, no, we had good reasons not to feel and safe that with. And others, you know, that he had sexually assaulted girls in high school and the youth leader did nothing. Mm-hmm. And so what was Rebecca supposed to do? Yeah. You know, just, well, I already told an adult they're not. I've already right. been rebellious, according to Dana Grash. Yeah, she's already been rebellious by telling the adult in the first place. Yeah. Because you're not even supposed to do that. You're supposed to wait. But now she's told an adult, and an adult doesn't done, done anything. So what is she supposed to do? Well, I guess she's just supposed to let herself be taken advantage of then. Now, that's not what you did. No. Like, you teamed up with other boys and made No sure one that is surprised were... that that's not what I did. But, but yeah, no. But think about the implications of this. Yeah. And so, you know, to tell a girl that it is your, not your job. First, this isn't even biblical either. Like number C, or C here, watch for a good time to bring it up quietly. Depending on the situation, it might actually be less loving than to just point it out at the beginning. Like, right. But also like Matthew, assuming it is not abuse, assuming this is just a personal thing between two people. That's actually what you're supposed to do according to Matthew 18. Yeah. And so she's saying Matthew 18 isn't good enough. You're supposed to do nothing. Yeah, Jesus really had this one wrong. Jesus really should have taken it further. We can really correct Jesus on this. Yeah. Yeah. Just ridiculous. Mm -hmm. And so those are three of the questions. There are six. Um, The other themes in the other three, again, are just about your attitude, how you're supposed to do things and be happy no matter what and don't think. Yeah, and it's all up on our website, so you can take yeah, you can, it, you can, can go look at We will put a link. Yourself. We will put a link so that you can go look at the entire submission quiz because it is still there. It is in yeah. her book. It is in her website. And Dana Gresh does True Girl Pajama Party conferences all over the United States still. So this spring, there's this winter and spring, there's been there they've been all over. Um, so this stuff is still being taught, and you have to ask like, why is submission? being drilled into little girls' heads so much. Well, especially when you think about those three girls, I, I asked you to think about the beginning of this, this idea of submission being erase yourself so that you do not inconvenience someone else. That's really mm-hmm. what this all is. It's erase yourself and become perfectly obedient, which mm-hmm. is, first of all, not submission. Yeah, without having any emotions or thoughts. Yes, so your thoughts, your emotions, your experiences, your perspectives, your opinions, everything like that is an inconvenience to other people and you must erase it if you are to be a good Christian girl. Which coincidentally fits in with her take on modesty, which is you're supposed to erase yourself so you're not seen either. Yes, exactly. <laughs> so totally and, cover up. And I just cannot be clear enough about this. That is an abuser's dream. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. this is against 
every single safety like safety um uh class that you will ever have Mm -hmm. like if you talk to anyone who works in child sex abuse prevention they are going to give you the opposite advice of this they're going to teach you to like be a safe place where your kids know they can speak up um help your kids have confidence help your kids stand up for themselves um, help them not be afraid to go against the grain this is the opposite advice yeah this is literally and the intention was absolutely not there but i cannot see this as anything other than just pre-grooming girls and it's by accident it is by accident but that is what this is what else do you call teaching eight to twelve year old girls who are like by the way peak pedophile age yes let's be clear here Okay, Mm -hmm. it's disgusting. Mm -hmm. You are teaching eight to 12 year old girls. The best thing you can do is blind obey, not think too much Mm -hmm. and not have any real opinions about what's going on. And by the way, if someone does something bad, definitely don't say anything. And while while you're doing all that, remember that your belly is intoxicating and makes adult men get out of control. Yeah. As if you were under anesthesia. That's in the book. Yes. Um, You know, there was another uh, book that she wrote called And the Bride Wore White. And there was an interesting, which was written to older women, sort of college age. No, it was written to teenagers as well. High school and college, yeah. yeah. Um, And there was a part about how, how to practice... Um, telling the guy no if you think he's going too far. Yeah. And she had 10 funny things that you could possibly say and you were supposed to think of your own list. And it was stuff like, um, you know, my dad's going to dust me for fingerprints when I get home. Mm-hmm. Or um, isn't it great that God is watching us all the time? So if if you're getting hot and heavy in the car and his hands are wandering, you're supposed to joke about it as a way to diffuse the tension and let him down easily. And what I find so interesting is that a simple no, stop it, is not one of those things. Yeah. No, you're not allowed to just say no. Yeah. You have to do it in a cute way so that you don't offend him because you wouldn't want to overstep your bounds. Yeah. So he's already overstepping your bounds by going too far. And you're supposed to be like, "Uh uh-oh, my daddy brushes me for fingerprints, which is like... Mm-hmm. Why not just say, oh, I don't want to do that. Yeah. Now, interestingly, um, Dana Gresh and her husband, Bob, they have a companion event for boys called Born to be Brave. Yeah. So girls get taught how to be submissive, which means not thinking, not feeling, going along with what the authorities say. And guys get to learn how to be brave. Yeah. And this is the state of the evangelical That's church. why we wrote She Deserves Better. <laughs> that is why we wrote She Deserves Better. Um, as Amy Bird was talking about, you know what? women deserve to be discipled too. We have the Holy Spirit just as much as guys do. And guys have the Holy Spirit just as much as we do. And and when we do these strange things where we try to restrict what women can do, we don't help the kingdom of God at all. So no, we sh- end up with weird things where you're teaching 11-year-olds to shut up and not tell anyone. Yes. like and, and she deserves better and you deserve better. So I will put a link to Amy Bird's books. I will put a link to She Deserves Better because she does deserve better. And I think your daughter, um, if you have any, will love reading about the submission quiz and you can watch through it with your daughter so that you can make sure that she knows how to speak up and so that she knows that her opinions and her feelings matter. <laughs> we'll see you again next week on the Bear Marriage Podcast. Bye. Bye-bye.